You are listening to messages from Victory Outreach in the city of Whittier. We pray that you are inspired, challenged, and provoked to become all that God has called you to be. For daily insight, please log into victoryoutreachwhittier.org. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles, as I mentioned in the first service, you really don't need to turn to them. You can put it right back away because you should know this scripture by heart. And it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Um, this is a scripture that most of us know by heart. It's one of the very first scriptures we learn when we first get saved. In fact, this scripture was quoted to me for the very first time. I was 16 years old. And they dragged me down a teen challenge. My mother dragged me down a teen challenge. It's still there, the facility, and it's still teen challenge over there on the west side. And Brother Tillman was the director, Pastor Tillman. He's gone home to be with the Lord. And he quoted this scripture to me. I had never heard a scripture quoted to me like that. Where the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And this morning, I want to speak to you about the miracle of transformation. And you know, for many of us that have been a part of this ministry for a number of years now, and I'm sure you can identify with this, you still stay amazed. I know, I know at least I do. I still stay amazed, right, at how God is able to change a life. No matter what background they come from, no matter what country they come from, no matter what culture no matter what type of bondage they were in, it still amazes me how God is able to take an individual bound by sin and set them free and begin to transform their life. God does change people. We've experienced God's transforming power. But when God changes us, he does it on his terms. In order to experience the transforming power of God, you have to accept God's terms. Now, I'm going to make a statement here that I didn't make in the first service, but it's true. And some of you are going to go, what? But it's true. I've never applied for a job in my life. See? What? Or like young people, what, what, what? You need to understand something. I started using drugs when I was 14. Uh, got saved when I was 20, went into the men's home, went into Bible school, and what you see me doing right now, I started doing in my first year of Bible school, and I've been doing it ever since. It's not like I don't work. It's just I've never applied for a job. But from what I understand, for those of you that have applied for a job, when you go apply for a job, you don't set your own terms. You don't go in and tell your employer, okay, I want three weeks vacation. I want a secretary. Coffee breaks every half hour. I want this much pay and I want to raise every three months. Is that how it works? No, you work according to the company's terms. They tell you, this is when you qualify for an extra week vacation. This is when you qualify for vacation, all that stuff, right? Or upper pay or whatever it's called, right? In other words, when you want God to change you, you can't set down your own terms, right? Some people want to change, but they want to change their way. And the reason why so many people fail to overcome sinful habits is because they resist change. Or 
they don't necessarily resist it. They want to do it their way. They want to do it on their own terms. Paul the Apostle writes in Romans chapter 12, he said, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if we're not being conformed to the things of God, because we're being trans, if we're not being transformed to the things of God, it's because we're still conforming to the things of the world. Huh? So the question this morning is, and here it is, do you desire God's transforming power? Do you really want God to change you and to continue to change you? Because for those of us that are serving the Lord, for those of us that have been serving the Lord for a while, you still want God to change you. That's why we have those conferences. This is why we have discipleships. This is why we have spiritual leadership. Huh? It's because we still want God to do a work in our life. I've been serving the Lord a long time now. I didn't know since 1927. Wow. I didn't even know Victorious was around 1927. Apparently, Joe and I are going to have to have a talk, amen? Brush up on his history, amen? But since we have some uh, different countries here, we have Panama, Holland, England, right? Uh, so I don't know if we have anybody in South Africa here. But um, question, what was the first country Victoria, you went into outside the United States. I can't hear you. Holland. Holland. Oh my God. Oh my God. That's a great answer. You're wrong. <laughs> England. Oh my God. The choir. What did I need to... Was that the first? Well, we went there to evangelize. But what's the first country we actually planted a church in? There it is. Mexico. Right. And so, as long as you've been serving the Lord, right? No matter what, you still want God to change you. You still want to experience God's transforming power. That's why this morning I want to share with you three basic conditions that you must accept in order to continue to experience the transforming power of God in your life. Those conditions are very simple, right? Number one, the first one is you must believe that God is good, right? Now we say that oftentimes, the preacher will get up behind the pulpit and will say, God is good. And you'll respond. Right? And we do that all the time in all the churches. But as simple as that sounds, it is a very difficult concept for some people to accept. Because when the doctor calls you in and says, we've run the test, we found out you have cancer. It's difficult to accept the fact right there at that moment that God is good. When you find out your daughter's pregnant from some boy, it's difficult to accept the fact that God is good. When you find out your husband has been unfaithful to you, it's a hard concept to accept. When your finances have drained, dried up and your business is bankrupt, it's a hard concept to accept. When you're facing a prison sentence and you don't get a chance to go to the home, the judge says, no, you're not going to the home. You're going to prison first. It's a difficult concept to accept the fact that God is good. But God is good. Remember, Satan's first move in the Garden of Eden was to cause Eve to doubt and question the goodness of God. All of you are familiar with the story, so I don't need to labor it. God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but of this one tree, 
you shall not eat thereof. For the day you do, thou shalt surely die. That was a very simple command. But yet one day Eve wandered over to go look at the tree. Maybe she was curious. Maybe she wanted to do some window shopping. Women love to window shop. My wife loves to window shop. She says, I'm going to the mall. I go, but we didn't get any money. I know, I know, I know, but I'm not going to buy it. I'm just going to window shop. I've yet to meet a sister who's gone to the mall and actually bought a window. <laughs> but they go just to look. So Eve was looking, and Satan made his move against her. Genesis chapter 3 records it. And, he, and he, you know, he tempts her to take it. Go ahead, try it. She says, no, no, no. We can't even touch it. If we touch it, we'll die. And that's not what God said. God said, you shall not eat thereof. But look what, this, what the enemy told Eve. He said, you shall not die. For God knows when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like him. In other words, listen, God's not really on your side. He's restricting you. He doesn't want you to reach your full potential. Satan's first move against humanity was to get us to doubt the goodness of God. Right? God really doesn't have a plan for your life. You're going to regret being a Christian. You don't want to spend your life reading a useless book that has no meaning. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. Come on, somebody. And so Eve, we all know the story, she fell. And then she went back and got her husband to fall. Right? And they both disobeyed God. See, what Satan wants to do is if he can't get you to use drugs again or drink again or gamble again or party again, what he'll do is try to get you to become dissatisfied with God's will for your life. You're a part of this church. You're not here by accident. You're not here by luck or by chance or a spin of the wheel or a deal of the cart. God has positioned you here. God has positioned you in victory outreach. Why? Because God has a plan for your life. This is part of God's will. You're not here by accident. God definitely has a plan for your life. But some people become dissatisfied with God's will for their life. And what happened is the woman believed the lie. See, the Bible refers to the devil as the great deceiver. Uh, Revelation 12, 9. He's the great deceiver. Right? Now, how does the devil deceive us? By lying to us. Right? The question is, what kind of lies has the enemy been telling you? That you're not really saved? You'll never make it off the home? You'll never make it out of the home? God's never going to heal you? Huh? You're never going to prosper? What kind of lies has the enemy been telling you? That your children are never going to get saved? You're never going to get your kids back. What kind of lies has the enemy been telling you? Well, we have a choice. We can resist those lies or we can yield to them. If we resist those lies, they have no power over us. They just bounce off us. Devil, you're a liar. I rebuke it in Jesus' name. But if you believe those lies, if you yield to those lies, you give credence to them. Why? Because you begin to perceive them as truth. And deception takes place when you and I begin to believe the lies of the enemy. Eve believed the lie. That's why she fell. Huh? If you doubt the goodness of God, somehow Adam and Eve 
somehow felt that God was holding them back. If you doubt the goodness of God, you will automatically resist change. You ain't, you ain't, you're automatically going to resist any transformation. First of all, you'll fear it. You'll fear change. You know, most people are afraid of change. We even see this even in Victory Outreach. Crazy, huh? Ask any pastor, and when they got to move locations, what? We're moving? Like you guys used to be over here, a few blocks away. But I'll guarantee you, when you move from the old building over here, some people left. We moved from the multi-purpose building in La Puente to under the big top. And eventually we put the sanctuary there, right? We moved less than 100 yards, less than a football field, and we lost people. People don't like change. Crazy, huh? Some people fear change. And as a result, then they fight change. They fight it. They resist it. And then thirdly, they give up. They simply forget. They say, well, it's useless. It's hopeless. But if you, if you believe that everything that is happening to you no matter your situation this morning, if you believe that God is still in control, huh? if you believe that, then you're giving God the opportunity to do a work in your life. I shared in the first service, we're living in some really crazy times. I mean, every time you turn on the television, there's a shooting in some school, in some mall, in some theater. There's terrorist attacks everywhere, Right? There's all kinds of chaos there in, in Washington with our government leaders. There's problems overseas. Even in Europe, there's problems overseas. I mean, you look around our world today, there is, there's a lot of problems. But yet with all that, I know, and I'm sure many of you know, that God is still in control. That's why there's a peace that passes all understanding. You see all the craziness, all the chaos, and all the confusion. But we know, hallelujah, that our God is still in control. That's why when you accept, when you begin to accept and believe the goodness of God, two things are going to happen. Two things are going to happen. When you come to understand, you know what? God is a good God. No matter if you're physically well, no matter if you're, you're so broke, super glue couldn't fix you. No matter if you're out of work, some of you are lonely. Some of you are living all by yourself. You don't have a husband. You don't have a wife. Huh? You don't even own your own house. You're living in an apartment. Huh? But yet, despite all that, God is still good. And you know it. Just like what pastor said, shoot, without this, where would I be if it wasn't for the Lord? Where would we be if it wasn't for Jesus? See, when you begin to accept the fact that God is good, then two things are going to happen. One, you'll surrender without reservation. You will not hold back. You will totally surrender yourself to the Lord. Somebody say amen. You know, we have a newlywed here, right? And those of you that have been married, right? Why did your wife marry you? Why did that woman marry you? Well, she said, you know what? He's a good man. Somehow, I think he's a good man. They see that, you know, you're rough on the outside, right? But they say, you know what? I'm going to surrender to you because I trust that you're a good person. Well, when you believe that God is good, 
When you understand that God is good, then you'll surrender to him without reservation. Somebody say amen. The song we used to sing, remember? I surrender all. I miss that song. We don't sing those songs anymore. We have all the new stuff, which is fine, but I miss some of the old songs. Uh -huh. I surrender all to you, my blessed Savior. I surrender. The second thing that happens is that you'll thirst for more transforming power of God. When you accept the goodness of God, no matter what's going on within your life, when you accept the goodness of God, then not only will you surrender without reservations, but then you will thirst. You'll be hungry for more change. You'll want more of God. You'll want more of his word. You'll want more of prayer. You'll want more of his presence. Somebody say amen. You want to change more. I mean, I've been serving the Lord now a long time. It's 1927. I don't know how it's possible. I was born in 1951. And I got saved in 1971. Right? But despite all these years, I still hunger for change. I still hunger for his word. Don't lose the hunger. Don't lose that thirst for God. I see this generation of young people. I see this generation rising of this Joshua generation, this Timothy generation, whatever generation you want to call yourself, that's fine. But what I like is that they're thirsty. They're hungry for God. I just came back from Chicago, and those young people were there, the, the, the UTC students, and I got a chance to go do a day of training with them. And, of course, it was a little selfish on my part. I wanted to go because my grandson's there. And he's been there now for a few months. And so I went, and what I did on the Saturday, I showed the, I had them watch our very first movie. What's the name of our very first movie? Very good. Who said that? Oh, my God, you get a raise, girl. <laughs> raise your hands and praise him. Amen. <laughs> Is that Arlene? Yeah, I, I thought you were. Your, I don't recognize you with your glasses. Oh my God, you look sophisticated. Amen. That's Arlene. That's, oh, well, your husband over here. You guys been married a long time. That's why. But I showed them, stop the world. I want off. They were. They had never even seen it. And what I did afterwards, I had like a Q and A, a question and answer. I mean, I spent an hour just answering questions on the early, early days of victory outreach. I go, you guys are blessed because not too many people could answer these questions. Because many of the people that were there are dead. It's not a joke, but they're gone. But Brother Phil's still here, amen. And, and, but it was so exciting to see these young people have a thirst and a hunger for the things of God. Hallelujah. And so when you believe in the goodness of God, then you want that. You'll surrender without reservation and you'll thirst more for God's transforming power. Secondly, the second thing, if you really want to experience God's change, is you, are, you need to come to an understanding that you and I are fully responsible for our behavior. Huh? Eve and Adam and Eve came and fell. They disobeyed God. And the Lord came into the garden. Remember they hid? You guys know the story? They hid from him. And then he said, Adam, come out of here. What happened? Did Adam come clean? Huh? Did Adam confess? 
Huh? No, Adam was from the neighborhood. Pleaded not guilty. Rule number one of the hood, always plead not guilty. Even if they catch you in the car with the drug and the guns, officer, that is not mine. I don't know. I was on my way to the library. Not guilty. Adam said, Lord, Lord, wait, 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 wait. I didn't do it. Adam, what did you do? I didn't do anything. It's the woman. It was, that, 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 Lord, you gave it to her. You gave, you gave me her. And look at the way she dresses. I can't say no to her. And so I, the Lord turned to Eve. And you women, you women are so nice. But you're just as bad as us. That's why the Bible says, for all have sinned. Doesn't say just the guys. For all. Everybody say all. all. For all have sinned. He said, Eve, what happened? <laughs> it wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. Huh? The devil made me do it. So they didn't want to take responsibility. Right? Transformation begins with an acknowledgement of our sin and our failure. If you and I really want to change, then we, we own up to the mistakes that we make. Now, I've made mistakes in my life. Even in my Christianity, I've made mistakes. How many of you have ever made at least one mistake in your life? Some of you didn't raise your hand. You just made one. Watch, you're going to make another. How many of you have made at least one mistake in your life? Some of you still don't want to raise your hand. You're stubborn. Huh. Those are called repeated failure. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Ain't nobody perfect here. Come on, somebody. The doorway to change starts when you and I start, start taking full responsibility for our behavior. Stop blaming it on the pastor. Stop blaming it on the director. Stop blaming it on your family. Stop blaming it on the government. Stop blaming it on the white man, the black man, the red man, the yellow man. Stop blaming it on society. Stop blaming it on the culture. When King David fell, he was confronted by the prophet. Nathan came in and said, David, you messed up, Holmes. You messed up big time. You sinned. You're the man. You committed murder. You committed adultery. You got that girl pregnant. You got her husband killed. You lied, cheated, you abused authority. I mean, you messed up. I mean, no, when our guys mess up in victory hours, we mess up big. We don't just break one egg. We break the whole dozen. We rob the store and hold up the bank on the way out. Take the ATM machine. And what did David do? Did David blame Bathsheba? Did David say, listen, you don't understand the stress I'm under. You don't understand the pressure I'm under. I, I'm over all these stubborn, rebellious Jews, and I'm fighting the Philistines and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Uptites and the Odyssites and the Termites. I've had it up to here with all the ites. You don't understand, Nathan. All you got to do is walk around and prophesy. It's easy for you preachers. Ah, that's not what David did. David owned up to his failure. He said, I've sinned against my father, and I've sinned against heaven. 
Oh, God, cleanse me, forgive me, purge me, wash me. He didn't say, Lord, it was a woman. No, he owned up to it. The doorway to change, I'll repeat, begins when you and I start taking full responsibility for our actions. By doing so, you're in the process of restoring your dignity. Do you realize when you're in, this is the Ben's home over here, right? Look like they emptied out the county jail. That's okay. Do you realize now you're in the process of restoring your dignity? Those of you, how many of you guys have kids? See, most of you. You know, your kids are proud of you. Oh my God, my dad is getting his acting. And you think they don't know. They're four years old, they're seven years old. They're they know what's up. But by you doing what you're doing right there, your kids are becoming proud of you. Why? Whether you're in the women's home or the men's home, you're in the process of restoring your dignity. Come on, somebody say amen. And then thirdly, the third thing you must do, number one, you must believe that God is good. Regardless of what's going on in your life right now, God is good. Not most of the time, not some of the time, not, my, not almost all the time, not when I just have money, not when my mother-in-law is out of town. No, my God is good all the time, 24-7. He is a good God. Somebody here in Whittier, shout hallelujah. We serve a good God. Secondly, right, we, we're fully responsible for our actions. We take full responsibility for our past behavior. You know, I got asked one time, I went to go speak at this seminar for addiction specialists up here in Pasadena. And one of the doctors asked me, why did you go on drugs? Why did you start using heroin? I said, well, I had two older brothers who were heroin addicts. He said, oh, are you blaming them? I said, absolutely not. Are you blaming the fact that you were raised in a poor family? Absolutely not. Are you blaming the fact that your dad, you know, drank a lot? Absolutely not. Why did you do it? I said, because I wanted to. I take responsibility. Nobody forced me. Nobody stuck that needle in my arm. I willingly did it. And the third thing is, if you really want to experience the miracle of transformation, you must believe that deliverance is possible. Why well, I say that? Because the struggles and the battles you're facing right now are not unique. They might be unique to you. They might even be unique to us in leadership. Right? Even if we're an experienced pastor, you have an experienced pastor here, right? And sometimes you might catch us off guard. Wow, I've never heard of that one. Shoot, you really got a problem. And it might be unique to us. But it's not unique to God. Come on, somebody. God has seen it all. God has given us all the resources that we need to live an overcoming life. He gives us power to get the victory. The blood of Jesus has the power to break the chain of bondage. The blood of Jesus has the power to break the bondage of addiction, to break the bondage of alcoholism, to break the bondage of homosexuality, to break the bondage of immorality. 
the blood of Jesus, it'll never lose its power. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? It's the blood of Jesus. In less than about two weeks, we're going to commemorate the, the, the crucifixion. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross. Right? He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. The Bible says if there be no shedding of blood, there be no forgiveness of sin. But oh, thank God, hallelujah. He shed his blood on Mount Calvary. He shed his precious blood. And it's that blood that can deliver you. It is that blood that can set you free. It is that blood that can heal you. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. But not only does God give us power to get the victory, he gives us power to maintain the victory. I mean, we have people in this room that have been set free from drugs and alcohol for years. How long have you been saved now, Pastor Joe? 36 years! He's maintained the victory. Mondo, how long have you been saved? 41 years! And when Mondo came in, he came in with about 20 addictions. How many was it? Eight. Okay, well, I'm an evangelist. I, well, I stretched him. Amen. And God set him free from all of them. All of them. 41 years. 36 years. 47 years. Amen. Uh-huh. He gives us power to maintain the victory. See, many believers, and I'll close with this, concede to the enemy. They give in, assuming they can never overcome and experience total victory. This morning, God wants you to experience complete and total victory within your life. If you're here for the first time, God wants to save you. He wants to change you. He wants to bring you to the cross and wash away your sins with his precious blood. God has a plan for your life, just like he had a plan for my life, just like he had a plan for each one of us this morning. Oh, I thank God. I thank God this morning. I was 20 years old. There I was in the county jail, H-O-J-J. Yeah, see, only the old guys know about that one. It's shut down. It's the Hall of Justice Jail, H-O-J-J. So they had the O.J. trial, the Robert Blake trial, the Charles Manson trial. In fact, I was busted with Charles Manson. He was there when I was there. I saw him too. Shoot. Thank God he was surrounded by cops. They brought a... But I was there 20 years old, sick of hepatitis, hooked on drugs. All I had going for me, many of you have heard this, but some of you are hearing this for the first time. I didn't plan to share this, but I had a mom who was one of the very first members in Victory Outreach. In fact, this Tuesday, I'm going over to the church. We got a chance to use the old Victory Temple. They're letting us use it just to go in and use it. And I wanted to bring the training center, show them some of the history. And this Tuesday, we're going to gather there on 320 Gless Street. I'm going to show Stop the World because the, the, the church comes out of the movie. But my mom was one of the original members there with a few others, a handful of others. 
And she told me one night when I stumbled home high on drugs, she said, son, in Spanish we say, mijo, she says, you don't have to be in church to give your life to the Lord. She goes, I know you're not ready right now. I can see it. But one day you'll be ready because I'm praying for you. She says, and, and whenever you are, wherever you are, cry out to the Lord. And he'll hear your prayer. Well, there I was in the old county jail in a two-man cell sleeping on the floor. It's called sleeping on the freeway. A little mattress. Because I just got in. Facing 18-month sentence. My skin and fingernails, my, my eyelids were all yellow from hepatitis. And I cried out to the Lord. I don't even remember what I said. But all I know is the power of God came into that cell and broke the chains of bondage and set me free. And if I can make it, anybody can make it. God has a plan for your life. This morning, I want everyone to stand and just the worship team to come. And tonight, we're going to gather again. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to have a great miracle service. But before we do that, and I want nobody moving, absolutely nobody moving, please. Just the worship team. Ushers, remain still just for a second. I know you guys have responsibilities, but I need every head bowed, every eye closed. In my spirit, I sense there are people here that are here for the first time. And I had more to share, but I just, I'm kind of cutting my message because I just sense within my spirit this morning an urgency that somebody needs to hear this message this morning and you're on the brink. You're on the edge right now. And this morning, while every head is bowed, excuse me, every eye closed, and I need every born-again believer praying right now because Brother Philip can't save anybody. Victory Average can't save anybody. Jesus is our Savior. We're just his servants. But every head bowed, every head closed, there's a young man here. You're hurting inside. There's a single parent here, a single mom hurting inside. Well, God has a plan for your life. And you say, Brother Philip, I want to experience that change. I want to ask Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to surrender my heart to the Lord. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. From all over this room, I want those to say, you know what, I want to give my life to the Lord. Or maybe, maybe you used to serve the Lord, but you've had some problems. I understand, I really do. But what I want you to understand is that God is the God of another chance. And he's ready, willing, and able to give you another chance. Even when others will not give you another chance, God is willing to give you another chance. Or maybe you've given your life to the Lord, but you're not fully committed. You're not fully totally surrendered. You struggle sometimes with change. I understand that. I think we all do. Sometimes we're stubborn. Our pride gets in the way. But if you want to make it, you got to surrender. And so I want those from all over this room at the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand for prayer while every believer is praying right now. Right now, the person standing next to you is praying for your soul. And right now, while every head is bowed, every eye closed, I want those to say, Brother Philip, pray for me. I want to ask Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. I want to dedicate my life to the Lord. At the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Lift your hand for prayer right now. God bless you. God bless you. Oh, hands are going up all over the place. God bless you. You may put your hands down. Is there anybody else? Slip up your hand right where you're at. Come on, lift it up. Put it right back down. Is there anybody else? Come on, lift it up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Is there anybody else? God bless you. I see your hand. Yes, sir. Yes, mom. I see your hand. Come on, young people. You may go to a gang service, but are you saved this morning? Say, yeah, but I put money in the offering. I'm not asking you that. I'm asking you, are you saved? Are you saved this morning? Have you given your life to the Lord? Is there anybody else? 
Lift up your hand right now. All right. Everyone can lift up, open up, lift up their heads and open up their eyes. Nobody sneaks into heaven. There's no secret deal. Everybody that Jesus called, he called them publicly and honestly. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you your name or your sins. We're just going to say a group prayer, and you go back to your seat. But I want from all over this room, if you raise your hand, and even if you didn't raise your hand, I invite you to come. As we, as we sing this chorus, you begin to make your way right now. Come and stand any place you like. You come right now. Come on. I need some altar workers. Come and help me. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes. Yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to sing it one more time. In about 60 seconds, one minute, that's all, one minute, I'm going to say a word of prayer. You want to be in on this prayer, now's the time to come. Now's the time to come. You say, man, I... It doesn't work in your seat. It, it just doesn't. Everybody that Jesus called, as I said a moment ago, he called them, he called them honestly and publicly. I challenge you to come. Listen, I want to talk to Victor Irish people. Maybe you have some family member or friends you brought with you to church this morning. Don't embarrass them. Number two, don't force them. It doesn't work that way. But invite them. Maybe if they hear it from you, say, hey, would you like to go to the altar? I'll go with you. This is my final call. In one minute, we're going to pray. You come right now. Make a decision right now. Hallelujah. You come. As we sing it one more time, in one minute we're going to pray. I invite you to come. One more minute. Let's go, guys. Come on. Oh, hallelujah. Yes. Yes. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. They're still coming. Oh, hallelujah.
Hallelujah. I want those of you here at the altar. Look over here just for a moment. Look up here just for a moment. I know many of you, some of you are in the men's home. That's fine, women's home. Uh, some of you come to church here regularly, faithfully. Uh, but there might be a few of you up here. I don't know you personally. You might be up here for the first time. Well, the Bible says, the Word of God says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But what does it mean to call upon the name of the Lord? Well, that means to pray. And that's why I invite you down. This isn't a ceremony. I'm not, I got nothing written down. You're not joining anything other than the family of God. But I want to lead you in a word of prayer. And the reason I do it this way is because when I got saved in the county jail, I didn't know how to pray. I don't remember what I said. Thank God that God listens to our hearts and not our mouths. Right? But I'm going to help you. And I want you to make this prayer your prayer. Now, you're not praying to me. I'm just going to help you pray. You might have somebody with you. They've got their hand on your shoulder. Don't get nervous. Don't get excited. They're just there to pray for you. And in a moment, I'm going to ask the altar workers and the leaders of the church to pray for you. But before we do that, you and I are going to pray together. And I want you to bow your head and close your eye. And I want you to say this prayer. Now, some of you are coming up for dedication and commitment. Others of you are coming up for restoration. So whether you're coming up for the first time or to commit your life, what, God knows your heart. God knows why you responded. So I want you to say this prayer this morning out loud. Say, Lord Jesus. Come on, everybody. Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. Oh, God, have mercy upon me. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse my heart. Cleanse my mind. And set me free. From this moment on, I surrender my life to you. Starting right now, I'm going to serve you with all my heart. No more holding back. No more playing games. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All three are going to start praying for him right now. Go ahead, start praying for him. Hallelujah. Come on, pray him in. Pray him in. Pray him in. Pray him in. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Yes. Glory to God. That's the Lord right there. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Touch your God right now. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. It's done. Praise the Lord. Now, give, don't move, but give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Don't move. Don't move. Now, if you said that prayer, you say, well, I said that prayer, Brother Philip. What do I do now? What's next? It's easy. Come be here tonight, 6 o'clock. Come back. You know, I, 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 I'm not been a perfect Christian. I don't think anybody has. But one thing I can testify to, that I've always come to church. Ever since I gave my life to the Lord, whether I was up and down, right, I come to church. 
Your next step is to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. I'll be back uh, to preach one more service. We're going to pray for the sick. So you can invite your grandma, your aunt. You have somebody in your family that's sick in body. Invite them. Invite your family, your friends. But I want to say a word of prayer for you before they come and take the service. That God just do a mighty work within your life. This isn't the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of a great journey. I see some of the young people up here. You've got your whole life to live for God. It's going to be awesome. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for each one that made a decision to commit and dedicate their life to you. And Father, I pray that you seal this decision within their heart. Become more real to them each and every day. Lay your hand upon them, dear God, and touch them right now. Show them how real and how awesome and how good you are, God. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, give the Lord a good praise offering. Amen.